Um, how do we respond in the face of opposition? And one, one thing I want to make clear, when I say the church, I don't mean Redemption Flagstaff, Redemption Tempe, or just Redemption Church. I'm talking about just God's church, the, the church that uh, Jesus has established in our world. And so I was thinking about um, just times in my own life and when I faced opposition and how I responded. Right? And so it brought me back to a, a, a place of um, when I was working, when I was like 22 years old. And so before I was pastoring at Tempe, I've only been there for like a year now. Previous to that, for the past eight years, I've been working in the uh, logistics industry. And so I just, you know, I graduated from college in New York. Um, I needed a job and I hadn't studied logistics or anything. I just needed to move out of my parents' house. Um, and so I took this job as a summer intern in the South Bronx, New York, at a small trucking company. Right, so I had been working there for a year, and then after a year, uh, my boss, actually it wasn't even my boss, the owner of the company came to me and said, hey, your boss, we're actually going to let him go. Uh, but he was like toxic for all sorts of reasons, so it was actually a really good choice. But they were like, hey, we know you're an intern, but would you like to take his job? Right, and that probably should have been the first sign that things weren't right, because I didn't know my left and my right foot. Like, I had no business uh, being at a place of, of management at that age and with my lack of experience. But I had student loans and stuff at the time, and so I was like, sure, I'll do it. You know, I absolutely will take that job. And so one of the things I was tasked with in that job was rebuilding the company culture, right, just for all the ways that things had gone wrong over the past year. And so they were like, hey, if you can just raise morale and just get people excited about being here, um, you know, you would have been really done a successful job. And so I tried it, right? Like I said, didn't really know what I was doing, but just did my best. And things were going well. Like, people were excited to come in, and uh, we were hiring folks, and it was just becoming a real fun environment. And things were going well up until something happened. And so one day, um, I was informed that there was a new executive that was hired onto the, uh, the, the board of directors, right? And he would have say in the operations. And from day one, this guy and I just didn't see eye to eye on anything, right? If I said, hey, I want to walk on the right side of the hallway, he said, why aren't you walking on the left? Right? If it was like, what, every day I was bombarded with questions of like, why aren't we making more money? Why aren't we doing more jobs? And it was just on and on and on and on until, you know, it was one Saturday morning. It was 6 a.m. I was going to work. I had previously worked like 18 hours the night before or the day before. And he calls me. And the dude, he just started, I'm going to call him Rob. Um, he's, if he's watching this, he's, that's close enough to his name. He's probably going to know it's him, but I forgive you. Um, he, he, Rob just called me, and he's railing on me. It's 6 a.m. in the morning, right after just working like 18 hours the night before. And so, honestly, things got to a breaking point. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I responded. I was like, I forgive you, brother. So, you know, I'm, I know you don't really mean this, and um, it's all, you know, I, I hear what you're really trying to say. I didn't respond like that. It wasn't in the most Christ-like manner that I responded. It was more like cussing and other things that I'm not very proud of, right? And I, I, at the moment, I felt like he was attacking my very identity, right? I really, at that time of my life, one of the things that I prided myself on most, most like above all else, was just my work ethic, right, and how much uh, work I was doing and what I could produce. And so when he was telling me, hey, you're not doing a good job, it like felt like it was a, an attack at my very core. Right? And so I responded in this very aggressive and, uh, you know, I, I, I was trying to match that force that he was kind of sending towards me. I was trying to even 
up it, right, and overdo it in my response. And so I think that's the case, that whenever we feel like our identity is being attacked, our very core, right, we can feel like we have to aggressively respond and sometimes even respond more than what we are receiving. And so it got me to thinking about Nehemiah 4, right, because what we see in Nehemiah 4 is that the people of God, they're facing opposition, Right, they're, getting, they're hearing these taunts and these attacks, and their very identity is being attacked. What we're going to see in Nehemiah 4 is what Nehemiah leads the people in doing, right, even though their identity is tacked, attacked. Right, they don't turn their attention to the taunts and what everyone, all the nations that want to destroy them, what they have to say. They turn their attention to the sovereign God who they believe and they know and they trust is working on their behalf, Right? And because he's sovereign, because he is their defender, they can endure the taunts, they can stand firm, and they can stand firm and continue the work. They can stand firm and stay ready. And so my prayer this morning, my hope this morning as we get into Nehemiah 4 is this, is that as we face attacks as the people of God, as the church um, today, that we will learn from God's word how collectively we ought to respond in the face of opposition. Amen? All right. Uh, before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to us. God, that uh, you give us um, the promises that we can stand firm on um, whenever we're faced with whatever the world, whatever the enemies, whatever um, uh, sin and the powers of evil will throw our direction. God, we thank you for your gift. We thank you for your love. I pray this morning as we dive into your word um, that our hearts would just be um, illuminated to what you will have to have us receive and hear from your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, equip me as I'm preaching and uh, teaching this morning, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit work through me and uh, just, uh, just allow your Holy Spirit to saturate this room, Lord. We love you and in your name. Amen. All right, so pick up with me in Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 6. Just going to read through uh, what you just heard read on uh, through the scripture, uh, the, the passage that was just read. And so um, it says, Now when Sambalat heard that, they, that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger excuse me, in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So first thing we notice is that in the face of opposition, in the face of Sambalat and Tobiah um, taunting Nehemiah and the people, instead of responding to them, he endures the taunts because he knows that God is ultimately his defender, that God will ultimately sovereignly work on his behalf to defend him, the work, and the people. And so um, just kind of recapping where we're at in Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is a man on God's mission, right? He's been granted permission by King Artaxerxes. He's been faithfully working to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And as you've heard in chapter 3, as Anthony talked about last week, we got this beautiful picture of everyone just doing, doing their part in helping to the, the rebuild to happen, 
But I heard Anthony really drilling on the Dungate, and so I really had some questions about that. I do seem really excited to talk about the Dungate. Um, but no, we saw this beautiful picture. Every tribe, every people group within the people of God, they were just doing their part, putting brick by brick on the wall. And so you can imagine, right? It's like they're in this very high, probably happy moment, right? As they look around, they see their brothers and sisters just joined in together, doing their part. And then things take a change, right? Things take a turn. Sambalat and Tobiah, right? We met them in chapter one just briefly, right? But they don't want to see the people of, of, uh, strengthen themselves again. They don't want to see them strong, right? They are so upset that King Artaxerxes, they don't know what he was thinking to allow these people to rebuild. And so they see the unity, right? They see the progress. They see probably the joy that is just moving among the people, and they're angry, right? They attack them, right? And, and the attacks that are lobbed by Sambalat and Tobiah, right? They attack them at their very identity. Right? What do they call them? Feeble Jews. Like you're weak, right? They mock their God. They say, oh, you're going you're gonna to sacrifice and you think that's going to do something for you? Where has that gotten you so far, Right? You've already been uh, dominated and put under subjugation. Where was your God then? Right? They mock them. They mock the God that they serve. And then, like, Tobiah, he's like a, a Disney crony or something, right? He's like, yeah, boss, like, if a, if a fox goes up on that wall, it's going to break that wall. He's like the, the worst type of, like, henchman, it feels like, when you read that passage. And so Nehemiah is placed at a, a he's at a position. He's at a crossroads. Right? Is he going to respond to the taunts of Sambalat and Tobiah and all these other nations who want to stop the work? Or is he going to trust God to sovereignly work on his behalf? And instead of responding to them, he's going to talk to his God in prayer. Right? He's going to endure the taunts instead of responding to them because he knows that God is his defender. And I was thinking about someone I saw endure some taunts recently. And so, like Anthony said, I'm an NBA fan, and um, I'm a Knicks fan. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have the long playoff run that the Phoenix Suns are currently experiencing. Um, we were eliminated in the first round versus the Atlanta Hawks. But, like, as a Knicks fan, you're, like, used to failure. So the fact that we, like, even got to the playoffs will probably, like, put a banner up or something. Um, but, you know, we were, we were eliminated in the first round by the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and the Atlanta Hawks, man, their, their star player, he's named Trey Young. Right? And so the Knicks fans, the, the fan base, who was finally, they were finally able to return to Madison Square Garden in New York. And they were like, hey, we are going to help our team. We are going to cheer them on. Right? But they kind of brought it beyond the level of, like, just cheering. Right? Because they were, like, looking at Trey Young. They were, they were like, Trey Young, we're taunting you. And we're not just going to taunt your basketball skills. Dude, look at you. You're bald, bro. And he's like 22 years old, suffering from male pattern baldness. And I'm like, as someone who suffers from that, I was like, oof, you know, that hurts. Right? They were attacking his very identity. They were like, dude, you have no business playing. You're not a good player. You're bald. You're 22. Nothing's going for you. That's going right for you, dude. Right? But what I actually saw, what I was impressed with by Trey Young, Right, as he just ignored that. 
Right? He said, I don't care if I'm bald, if you say I, don't, I can't play basketball and I stink and all these things. No, I know who I am. I know what my game is. I know what my team is confident in. I know the abilities of my team, and I'm confident in that, what we're going to come and do. I'm confident of the mission that we're on. And you know what? That boy, he did it. Right? He, 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 he knocked us out. Right? And that's the reality. When you are confident in your identity, right, when you're confident in your mission and what you're, you feel called to, Right? It doesn't matter if 23,000 people are cheering against you. Right? You know where you stand. You know where you place your confidence. You know that those people taunting don't have the last word. And so, as the church, right, where, where do we find our identity? Right? And how do we respond in light of our identity to some of the taunts that we hear towards the church today. Right, you've probably heard some of these attacks just towards faith, right? Faith is irrational. Right, you're building your hope on fairy tales. What are you wasting your time? Right, you're, you're weak-minded if you believe in a God. Right, you've, been on, you've probably been on social media, and especially when tragedy happens, you've seen the remarks of, oh, here come the Christians again with their thoughts and prayers. Here we go, right? And I think whenever, right, you feel those attacks at your very identity, our, our very identity is God's people, right? It can feel that, you can feel that sort of like angst of like, I got to respond to this. I got to say something here. I must defend. And I want to tell you this morning, if you are feeling that, however you feel that, Right? You don't have to feel like you need to carry the, the burden of defending the, the church right? at every accusation that's lobbied or lobbed against it. Right? The good news is that Christ is ultimately the defender of the church, and the good news is he will defend it until the end. Right? And the, the, the reality is, is that when we try to respond to, to taunts a lot of times, right, what we're trying to do is to respond in our own strength and respond in our, in our own intellect, right? And you, if, if you think about that in, the, in Nehemiah 4, in the passage, right, the, the taunts that are thrown at the people, right, the taunts of like, oh, you're going to revive the stones that are all beat up and burnt up and have already been knocked down. You're going to put that and make a new formidable wall out of it. Right? If the truth is, is that if they're trying to do that in their own strength, criticism is valid, man. Right? But why do they continue to build? Right? It's because what they recognize is that God is ultimately the one who is doing the rebuilding. That it's God who's ultimately working on their behalf. That it's God who is ultimately going to be their defender. Right? He is the one that has called them to this work. And he is the one that can take the most burnt up and beat up and bricks that we don't even want to uh, think can be used. And he can take those bricks and make them into the strongest concrete that's more formidable than what's at Fort Knox or the White House or whatever the most secure facility there is. That's the God that we serve. Right? Our God is the one who always takes the things that look weak and beat up and burnt up. Right? He takes those things. And that is where his strength is made perfect. 
Right? He uses those weak and, and, and foolish things that the world sees to, to completely shame them. The foolish things to shame the wise. That's the God that we trust. That's the God who the people recognize is fighting for them. And then Nehemiah, he prays this, what we would call an imprecatory prayer. And I won't get into all the details of that, but basically it's a curse on their enemies. And I, we don't need to necessarily do that today, right? But at the same time, we can be praying to God on, 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 the, on our behalf to, to avenge us, to work against evil wherever it presents itself for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel going out to the world. It's the hope that the world needs. And so any place that evil tries to thwart the spreading of the gospel, we pray, Lord, avenge, fight, defend, and he will. And so, church, even as we are in this series that we're calling Rebuilding, right, we can rebuild with confidence, knowing that Christ is the one who upholds and sustains the church. We can endure the attacks that are thrown thrown our direction because our identity is found in him. It's not found in whatever the tweet or the person or the influence or whoever has to say. It's found in what Christ has said about it, the church. And we said about us. His children. Our confidence comes with knowing, you know what, there have been many attacks on the church throughout church history, right? But Christ has sustained it, even to this day. Amen? And so what we see as we get into the next section we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 4, is right, Nehemiah, he not only just leads the people Right in praying. Nehemiah, as we've seen him in all throughout the book, and what we'll continue to see is his prayer life is strong, right? That's where he starts with, it's always prayer. But he not only leads the people in prayer, right? He also leads them in taking a stand and standing firm, right? Because they can stand firm. Once you recognize that God is ultimately the sovereign one who is defending you, then you can stand firm in his word and his promises and what he said and what he says is gonna happen. And so that's our next point, right? We're going to see Nehemiah leads the people in standing firm. Pick up with me in verse 10. It says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans and their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked looked in a rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And so the, the second thing that we see Nehemiah doing and the second thing that we must remember even as the people of God today is, right, because God is our defender, because God is sovereignly working on our behalf, we can stand firm. And so um, what we see is that the, the, the enemies of the people, right, the, their, their taunts have actually moved from just kind of verbal talking smack, right, to now they're moving to sticks and stones, Right? They are actually escalating their attacks. And they're like, hey, if we couldn't discourage them with calling them, you know, attacking at their identity and attacking, all, you know, attacking them verbally in all these different ways, then you know what? It's like the most you know, simple solution. To stop the work, we'll just kill them. 
right? And so they're like, we're just going to plan this surprise attack, right? And we are just going to kill them if they refuse to stop. And it happens that the, the Jews who are living around the enemies of these people, they, or the, the enemies, they, they hear of the, the, the plans and they go to Nehemiah and they're like, look, hey man, they're getting wild, all right? They're coming to kill you guys, right? And so, you know, I, I, it wasn't even like a word of encouragement. They were like, they're coming to kill you guys. Put down the bricks, put down, every, put down everything, and just come back, right? Because they're going to come and kill you guys. Right? So if you're, if you're Nehemiah in that spot, what are you thinking? You're like, man, right? Like, I have these enemies on the outside who, like, I can expect for them to be mad, Right? But then even internally, right, the people that know God's word and know his promises and know what he's called um, them to do and uh, that he, you know, works on and fights for on behalf of his people, they're like, dude, just stop the work. It's not worth it. Right? So he's facing these internal and external attacks. Right? But Nehemiah, right, he doesn't waver. No, he doesn't waver. He's like, okay, these attacks are coming. Thank you for letting me know that. I'm not going to take the second part of your advice. Here's what we're going to do. Right? He's like, we're going to devise a strategy, and we're going to put people in the vulnerable spaces of the, the open spaces of the unfinished wall. Right? And we're going to stop the work, and we're going to grab our spears and bows. That's what they had at the time. Right? And we are going to stand firm and defend. Right? But we're not just going to trust in our spears and our bows and our whatever, I don't even know, whatever the uh, other weapons they had back then. We're not going to stand and put our trust firmly in that. Right? He says, remember your God who is great and awesome. Right? That is ultimately where they stand, firm. Right? They don't even really, I mean, as we read on, they don't even really do like any sort of attacking. It's solely God's hand that's really doing the defending here. Um, and I think as we even think about the church and maybe church history, whenever you've heard the words like defend or like stand firm, like what, what comes to mind? Right, it's, it's probably those parts of like church history that we're not as proud about, right? Like crusades or like culture wars, just things that happen in church history that like we're just not, not our proudest moments, Right. And I was thinking about even growing up in church um, and some of the songs we used to sing, right? Some of those Sunday school songs or even just old hymns that we used to sing. One of them was like, I'm in the Lord's army, right? I actually had a friend when I, when I told him about that song. He was like, dude, I, um, I, we, like, I, we sang that song when we were doing overseas ministry, uh, missionary, like mission works. And the people who we were like ministering to, they actually thought we were like going to go on like a a bombing campaign or something. I was like, dude, that's intense, right? But there were songs like that. But one of the songs I really remember singing that talked about like Christians kind of having a, or just being in a battle, I would say. One of those songs that was called Onward Christian Soldiers, right? And I remember we used to sing it like this too. We used to like march a little bit as we sang, right? It was like a song as kids we got really excited about. Um, and I feel like whenever I brought that song up, just in like recent day, you can hear people groaning from a mile away. They're like, oh, please, like don't even bring that one up. How embarrassing was that that we even had that hymn in our hymnals, that we even sung that as a church, right? <laughs> 
Maybe we can sing it after the, 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 I'll make a case. Maybe we can sing it after the sermon today. Um, right? You'll hear the groans from a mile away whenever you, whenever you bring this song up, and myself included. Right? But as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about that song, I was like, you know, there's a lot of things that I thought were one way. Right? But I actually, like, I looked at them again, and they're not exactly what I thought they were. And so I took some time to actually revisit the words of this hymn. Right? And I have a, a, a short stanza of it here um, that I put up on the screen that you could read, read along on the screen. It says, At the sign of triumph, Satan's host doth flee, on then Christian soldiers, on to victory. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. Brothers, lift your voices, loud your anthems raise. And what I want to make clear is I just didn't, like, cherry-pick one part of this song that sounds good. Like, if you read through the entire song, it kind of has the same sort of words and themes. And what you don't see in the entire song is any sort of calls for military action or we're going to go on a bombing conquest or anything. It's nothing like that. Right? It's like the reminders of, like, you know, we're supposed to be unified in Christ. He's leading us. His promises will never fail. You know, like... The real controversial things of our day, you know? And what I think what these songs were helpful for, right, why these songs were written was to help us to remember, guys, that there is a battle on this side of the cross. There are enemies on this side of the cross, Right, but our enemies are not Tobiah or the, the Ashdodites or Sambalat, right? I don't think if we go outside after this, there's going to be people throwing taunts at us. I don't know how they roll in Flagstaff, but I don't think that's how it's going to be, you know? Right, they're, 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 they, don't, they don't look the same as what we're reading and who we're reading about today. Right, the enemies in the new covenant are the enemies of sin, Satan, and death, Right, and we as God's people who are the church gathered across national and international borders, whatever, wherever they may be, wherever the church is, or wherever the people that call themselves followers of Jesus, we are in a battle against these enemies as they wage war against the church. Right, we remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6, right, where he reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And you know what? The, the nature of the attacks of these enemies, right? They can be internal. Right? We've seen just over the past year, if you just followed the news about some of the things that have happened in the church, in the church Right? We've seen leaders uh, abuse their power. We've seen all sorts of things, right, that we're not proud of necessarily as being a part of God's people and happen within the church, right? And what you've seen and happen in that is just people kind of just fall away or just kind of like leave the faith, right? They, they, their, their faith becomes kind of like, you know, dwindles, right? They say, oh, this is what this is about. I don't want to be a part of that. Right? So we see those internal attacks happen. And then, I don't, wanna, I don't want us to miss this, right? There are external attacks too, right? Even, as this, even in this hour as we gather as God's people in this room, right? There are brothers and sisters in the global church who are being externally persecuted at this very hour. And so you see those external attacks happen as well. Right? And so what do we do? How do you fight a spiritual battle, right? How do you defend? 
very similar right, to what we see Nehemiah call the people to do. We remember. Right, we stand on the promises of God. Right, you will hear this probably a ton during this series. Of what Jesus has promised to the church is that the gates of hell will never prevail against it. He has secured the, the victory on the cross. Right? The, the powers of darkness have been defeated. And what they, what, what's going on, really, is that they recognize that they've lost the war. Right? But they're still in these small skirmishes, these small battles. And it happens that whenever an evil entity, whenever an evil a leader is in a, a fragile position, what happens? They become more brutal. Right? They turn up the brutality. Right, and so those, uh, that's what we experience sometimes, are those brutal attacks by the powers of darkness. And we defend by standing on God's word. And Paul gives us this beautiful imagery in Ephesians 6 as we, as we, if we continue to read on of how do we do that. Right, this image of the armor of God that we have to put on every day. Right, and if you've been in Sunday school, you've probably heard putting on the armor of God. And it sounds like something that's just in a kid's lesson. But it is truly as, 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 as people who are uh, uh, constantly bombarded by the attacks of the enemy, this is how we fight. Right? We put on the belt of truth in the face of the bombardment of lies of the enemy that try to tell us things about ourselves and about God that, that aren't true. The shield of faith. Right, in the face of doubts and the ways that the enemy even tries to just, 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 again, tell you things about God is not true and just have you doubt your faith and yourself and what God has done in your life. That shield of faith we put in front of us. The helmet of salvation. Right, when the enemy tries to tell you, you're not really right with God. You don't really have right standing. No, this helmet protects our minds so that we can remember what we know even when we feel differently. The helmet of salvation. The Patagonia Hydro Flask. I just want to make sure you guys were paying attention. <laughs> no, the, the, one of the last things that he mentions, right, is just the, the shoes on your feet that are, that, that, that are provided from the gospel, the peace of the gospel, that allow us to ultimately stand firm. Because what the gospel tells us is that Jesus is Lord and the enemies, the powers of darkness, uh, whatever they try to throw at us, they are not. Jesus is Lord, right? And he has defended these enemies. He is the one that is holding us in his hand securely between him and the Father's hand. And there's nothing that those enemies can do to snatch us from that grip. And so we can stand firm. In the promises, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing that it's God who goes before us. And so, <clears throat> as we go into our last section today, what we're going to see is that Nehemiah, right, he just doesn't stop at having the people stand firm, right, because the work has to go on. It's very important for the mission that God is doing in restoring and redeeming the world that this work continues, and so Nehemiah, he, he devises a plan, right, for the work to continue and for the people to continually stay ready against any future attacks. Pick up with me in verse 15, and we'll go to, we'll go to 20. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction 
and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side when he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on a wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. And then he just goes on to continue um, just detailing ways that they can stay ready against any sort of future attacks. And so the surprise element of the attack, right, that uh, Sambalat and Tobiah and all the enemies were planning, it's ruined by what we mentioned earlier the, 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 the people, the Jewish people who were there hearing it and going back and reporting to Nehemiah and letting him know the attack was coming. Right, but Nehemiah actually, he places this word, he, he places the thwarting of the plan in its proper place. Right, and it's just so happy, you know, when, when God sometimes moves miraculously on our behalf, we're like, oh, was that a coincidence? Or maybe, you know. It maybe just kind of happened that way. No, he's like r- rightly recognizing that it is God who is sovereignly working on his behalf, and he attributes the thwarting and the frustration of the plans to him, right? And, but what, what, what I think what makes Nehemiah to such an impressive leader, right, as we look at him, is just uh, he knows is that he's a, a good leader recognizes like when somebody is coming after you in this way, right, when they're talking about coming to kill you and just really don't want to even see you exist, right? Right, you don't fall into a false sense of comfort just because one attack was thwarted. Right, he, he comes up with this plan, this strategy, right, that allows them to stand firm but stay ready. Stand firm but stay ready. Right, they're going to have to build brick by brick, right, one hand with the brick, one hand with like a, I don't know, what would a, our biggest weapon, a Glock, you know? No, like a spare or something, a bow or something, you know? Like something that allows them to continue to be prepared in the face of the coming attacks. Right, and I just love it on a, a personal, like, leadership level of just seeing the way that Nehemiah is. You, know, you read about him. He, uh, he, like, models leadership really well, right? Like he, he foregoes the comforts of going home and sleep, and they're all, like, staying there stinky and just doing their, like, sacrificing a ton of things just so that they can make sure that the work continues on. And so what we see is that the people, right, they can ultimately stand firm. They can stand steadfastly in the truth of God, who they remember is sovereignly defending them and working on their behalf, right, but they're also able to continue the work, Right, and continue the work in a ready position against future attacks. Now, I was thinking about this. Well, I think there's a word for the church as we look at this. Right, because one of the most common things I've heard in this past season as we've come out of COVID and just all the things of 2020, it's like, man, I just can't wait till things get back to normal. I can't wait till just things open up all again, and then everything is going to be okay. I just want to tell you this morning, is that before COVID, before everything that happened in this last year, right, the enemies of the church were attacking it. 
And guess what? Even after things open up and go back to normal, they will continue to attack it. They will continue to attack the church. Right? And so how do we continue the rebuilding but not forget and stay ready um, against any future attacks? And crisis is difficult, right? Whenever you've gone through crisis, of course, it's hard and it weighs on us and and wears on us in a lot of ways, right? Um, But one thing that, you know, you're just often you're amazed by when you've gone through crisis is just the ways that, like, God shows himself uh, to be faithful. He shows you things about yourself that maybe you didn't know, and you kind of get a new perspective of, like, what's important, right? I think about, um, as we're on Father's, we're in Fa- it's Father's Day today, I think about one of the memories I had with my dad. Um, it was going down to New York City, downtown um, Manhattan, right after the 9-11 attacks. So it was the, the Saturday after the attacks, and my dad's like a history news junkie of, of sorts. He's probably, like, watching this and watching the History Channel and Split Screen or something, Right, but he was like, hey, do you want to just go down there and see what it's like? And so we took the train down there, and I'll never forget the things that I saw. Um, I saw people, like New Yorkers, I don't know if you know this, they don't necessarily have the reputation of being the most friendliest people. Um, but you just saw people kind of, I don't know, kind of recognize what was important in the face of tragedy. Like people were singing together and like praying together and um, just helping each other look for loved ones and holding up signs. And it's like people recognize just the interdependence that we have as like human beings, right? It was this beautiful thing, you know, it was like people, like time stopped, right? And people really got a moment to, to kind of recognize what was actually important, right? And if you go down to New York City today, it's the same thing. It's like everyone's singing Kumbaya and kind of hanging out. No, you guys laugh because you know that's not true, <laughs> right? People forgot. Why we returned to this normal period and we were just like, meh, at each other's throats again, just trying to get where we need to go. Right? And that and and and, and you know, it, it's I don't want that to be our experience as the church, even as we move beyond this season, even as we move beyond rebuilding. Right? There are certain weapons that we've learned, right? So I've learned, I've learned in this past season. Right, that I want to continue as the work continues, that I, I, we work on rebuilding with one hand, right, and, and stay ready using these weapons that have been formed and shaped over, these past, over this past year. You know, one of the, the things, I'll share a couple of things that, I, that I've learned, a couple of weapons, a couple of spears that I'm holding tightly as the work goes on, as we continue to rebuild as the church. Right, in this past season, I've learned really to pray. Right, a strong reliance on God. Right, because I was thrown into many situations personally where I was like, I don't know what to do. Right, I was newly a pastor. I, I was hired in February of 2020 at the end of the month. And guess what came two weeks later? Right, and so we are trying to figure out, okay, how do we keep people connected? How do we do church online? The first time we did church, we just did like a cell phone and it was sideways. And we didn't know what we were doing. Right, and even beyond that, just not beyond that, there's just questions that are thrown at us, right? You guys probably know, you probably asked Anthony them. All those questions that we were just getting and trying to answer and love people and help people well through this season, I didn't know what I was doing. And on top of that, there were things going on in my family and my, you know, my aunt passed the COVID. And just like a lot, of, a lot of things weighing on me. Right, so in those moments, I said, Lord, if you don't show up, 
Lord, if you are not my rock and my strength in this season, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right? And if this past year showed us anything, maybe, maybe before this year I thought I was in control of everything. Right? I thought that if I just planned it well, it would all come to work. Right? But in this season, I've been grateful for how God has turned me maybe away from my own self-reliance and ultimately self-deception right, to reliance in him. Right? And as things go back to, to normal, per se, Right? I don't want to, I don't want to lose that weapon of prayer. I want to keep that. Because that's going to help us. It's going to help me when the attacks come. Right, so prayer. Secondly, the, the weapon of the, 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 the gift of God's word. Right? One of the things we saw in the past season, one of the things we were even worried about as we entered into 2020, we were like, the biggest thing in January we were saying this, and this shows you, like, you don't know what's coming. <laughs> you think, you know. We are like, oh, the election and the political season, that's going to be the hardest thing that we're going to have to face in, in, in 2020. Right? And of course, there was more, but, uh, you know, even in that season, right, what we said, what we did in Tempe is we had this King of Kings campaign. And what we said in the King of Kings campaign is, is that we don't want any ideology or any candidate to, to be the one that we, we build and find our confidence in. We don't, want, we don't want that. We want God's word to be where we take our stand, where we stand in, and allow to lead us, guide us, and shape us. The only knee that we want to bow to, the only, only, only person we want to bow to our knee to is to Jesus. That's it. Right? And what we saw in that season, right, as our church joined in and said, yes, we are going to do this. Whereas we saw people standing on God's word, allowing it to, 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 to not only, not, not using it to just say, oh, you're not doing this or God's word, but to like look at their own selves, right? And remember what Jesus says about the log in our own eye before we point out the speck in someone else's, right? We allowed God's word to be what shaped and formed and informed us, right? And it reminded us that no matter what the political part, whatever that is, that we are called to love each other. We are called to love our neighbors. Right? I don't want to lose that. I don't want to be distracted from the beauty and the truth of God's word right, that we ultimately find our unity in as the church. So that's the, the second thing. And the last thing is just the, the, the gift of the community of the church. Right? Maybe before the pandemic season, what we would have said is, you know what? I could feasibly live my life in just like a social media online existence. Like, you know, I could pretty much do everything I can uh, or I want to do on here. And then we were actually put in that position. We were like, please, no more Zoom meetings, no more, no more uh, online stuff. I, I just want to be with people. Right? And we just notice or we recognize this gift of us just being gathered together in person, sharing meals together. One thing that we've really pressed hard into in Tempe is eating a lot of brisket. Right? And what we recognize is that some good brisket can cover like a multitude of Facebook arguments, right? Right? As we look at each other flesh to flesh, eye to eye, and get rid of the caricatures, get rid of all the different narratives, and actually see each other as brothers and sisters and live life with each other, right? Community is formed. We see just the power of the church, the power of Jesus to draw every tongue and tribe and people group together, united in him as the body. I don't want to lose that as we move into whatever this next season 
holds. And I think the, the only way that we lose these things, right, is if the carrot at the, on the end of our stick, right, our hope is placed in just things being comfortable, right? But we don't want to be a people that are pursuing comfort. We are a people pursuing the kingdom. We are a people telling and, and, and being witnesses of the, the kingdom of God that is broken through to earth. Right? That is our comfort. Right? Not, it's not just a comfort of, oh, we'll just go to heaven one day and things will be all right. No. Right? It's the comfort of knowing that Jesus is Lord. Right? And whatever else, whatever the enemies, whatever is thrown our way, we have the peace. We stand firm in that fact. He is Lord. He is holding us. He is keeping us. That's where our comfort is found. Right? And that we ultimately know that he has prepared a place for us. And there will be a day of comfort where these enemies, the death sentence that was put on them, they're going to have to actually live that out. They're going to have to experience that. Right? And we will be ruling and reigning with him. Right? So we have a, a, a eternal life. That is our comfort. Not in things getting normal. Not in things just going back to, to, to wait the, the way they were. We find our confidence in the work of Jesus. And what we remember, right, even as all these attacks and everything is thrown our way, right, that Jesus has ultimately defended and defeated, I'm sorry, defeated the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. Right, and he calls us now as just living witnesses to the, the beauty of, and, the, and the, uh, uh, the hope of the gospel, the, 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 the true antidote to whatever the world is looking for, wherever the brokenness, wherever the curse is found, right, we live as witnesses to the goodness of Jesus. That is our hope. That is our confidence. That is why we can endure the taunts. That is why we stand firm. And that is why we ultimately stand firm and just stay ready with the peace of knowing that Jesus holds us. Amen? And so, as we come to a close this morning, I invite you to just take a couple minutes to reflect and ask God, what are the, what are the, the areas of just your life over this past year you've seen God be faithful? Right, what are those things that you've learned in this past season, those maybe change of perspectives in regards to your faith that God has given you that you want to hold on to even as we move forward? the next season. I invite you to just take a couple minutes to pray and reflect, and then Anthony will come up.